So you might be asking yourself, or maybe you're asking me, what do two followers of Jesus Christ in a prison in ancient Macedonia have to do with Christmas? Hold that thought. Take your study guide from your worship folder or open your Bible if you prefer to John chapter 17. We're currently in a series where we're looking at the reasons why Jesus came, and we're going to look at another one this morning. Now let me set the context for you of this passage. Uh, Jesus has shared the Passover meal with his disciples. Paul talked about that in John chapter 13. And then in the rest of chapter 13 through 16, he teaches the disciples some amazing truths. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to take you to be there with me. He says, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And he comforts them. And at the end of this, he's going to pray. And and this prayer is known as the high priestly prayer. It's recorded for us in John chapter 17. We're going to look at the very first part. And we're going to get a little glimpse into the very relationship between Jesus Christ and God the Father. Follow with me as I read. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I have with you before the world existed. And God bless the reading of his word. So he starts out by saying the hour has come. Well, the natural question is what hour? Well, it's the hour that all history has been building toward, the cross. Jesus is literally hours away from his human life. The only thing left on his agenda is the cross. And notice when he says the hour has come. It's not some coincidence or accident. There was an established hour by God the Father. There was a plan in place, and Jesus acknowledges that. Then he says, glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. That's kind of an odd request. And you know, he reads something like glorify me, like that's that churchy thing, and we kind of gloss over it, we don't know what it means. We say glorify, the word glory, if you look it up in the dictionary, it says very great praise, honor, or distinction bestowed by common consent or renown. So when Jesus says, glorify me, he's talking about giving him the honor that he's due because of his attributes. So you may be saying, well, then Jesus is like an egomaniac or something. I don't think so. Because he didn't say, glorify me, and that's the end of it. What does he say? He says, glorify me, Father, so that I can glorify you. He's going to turn it right back on God the Father. And how is he going to get that glory? He's going to the cross. That's not how we'd expect. There aren't crowds going, hey, Jesus, you're great. And God's glory is the key to the universe. Look at this with me in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. It says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. We can see the glory of God in the universe, in the world around us. And then in verse 2, he says, Since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you've given him. Now there's an interesting sequence here. Notice this. Jesus has authority granted by God the Father over all flesh, or people. Jesus has the power to give eternal life. And Jesus gives eternal life to those the Father has given him. Well, who is that? Well, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ here today, it's you. You have been given by God the Father to Jesus as a gift. 
So if you kind of reverse that sequence, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you've been given by God the Father to Jesus, and Jesus can give you eternal life because he has authority over all mankind. Then in verse 3, he says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, eternal life here doesn't just mean living forever. It's not the Greek word bios, you know, that we think of as like biological life. It's the Greek word zoe. It means life, real and genuine, active, vigorous, a quality of life. And it implies a devotion to God. Life alive to God. Spiritual life. Not just an existence. And notice eternal life is a person. 1 John 5 verse 20 says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. You see, eternal life means a life spent forever with God, full and rich, experiencing all the wonderful qualities of God. And he says that eternal life comes by knowing God. And it's not talking about an academic knowledge. The words used is not like that. I know God's up in heaven and he made the universe and all that kind of stuff. No. It's talking about intimate knowledge, like that between a husband and a wife, that we know God like that. And eternal life isn't just something we can have when we die. It's a present possession. You can have it today before you walk out of here. In verses 4 and 5, he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, he says, I've accomplished the work. But we've talked about it. He's not done yet. He's still got the cross. So what's he saying? In the Greek, the tense is used, Jesus is talking about something he's so sure is going to happen that he's talking about it like it's in the past. He's saying, mark it down. Done deal, God. I'm going there. I'm doing it. And then he touches on his past state in heaven with all of his kingly attributes in the throne room. And he had to set all that aside to come to earth and live a human life. And how's he going to return to that glory? Obedience. How do I know that? Philippians 2, verse 8, says this. And being found in human form, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let me show you three quick things this morning. Number one, Jesus is our example. In John 13, verse 15, Jesus said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, at that point, he had washed the disciples' feet, and he's talking about serving them, but there's a broader principle here. Paul makes that clear in, in a more broad way of saying it in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Jesus is our example. Second, the purpose of our lives is to bring God glory. See, that was the purpose of Jesus' life, and if he's our example, then that's the purpose of our life. It's why we're created. It's what's best for us. It's when we're most fulfilled. And I know I can look around this room, and there's a lot of you who are saying, I'm most fulfilled when I'm bringing God glory. In Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is our example, and the purpose of our lives is to bring God glory. And finally, Jesus was obedient, even when it was hard. 
and you can't get much harder than dying on a cross. The cruelest, most diabolical way man has ever come up with to kill someone. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, a lot of you know this passage. It says this, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now when it says to run the race here, the word race in the Greek is the word agon, where we get our English word agony. Jesus looked beyond the agony of the cross to the joy of bringing the Father glory and by doing so bringing us eternal life. Why did Jesus come? To bring the Father glory. Which brings us back to Paul and Silas. They praise God despite difficult circumstances. Thrown in prison for doing something good in a scummy, rotten prison. And the passage in Acts 16 tells us the other prisoners took notice. It made a difference to them. Are you bringing God glory this Christmas? Are you doing it even when it's hard? So what does all this have to do with Christmas? Paul and Silas followed the example of Jesus and brought God glory when it was hard. Jesus came to earth to bring the Father glory by doing something hard, the cross. You see, that's the whole point of Christmas. Not just a baby in a manger. We talked about it last week. His birth points to his ultimate death. And what, did, what happened as a result of that? What was the result of what Jesus did? Well, just like Marcus in that prison at Philippi, you have to hear the rest of the story. <laughs> 